The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Have you ever wondered why? Why, you know, you hear it in wide world of sports, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat, but why? Why would so many people be so excited all over the nation that one team won a game. Have you ever thought about that? Why would a loss cause so much profound misery? Serious. Have you ever stopped to wonder why? Why, when the Hawks two weeks ago kicked a field goal, the entire stadium would empty onto the field? Have you ever wondered why one particular candidate wins an election, everybody goes crazy, the side that loses weeps? Have you ever stopped to ask yourself why? Well, I'll tell you, I've thought about that a lot. Um, And I've thought, Cheryl and I were sitting in the stands in Cleveland, the seventh game, and we were ahead six to three. I thought, oh, good, everything's okay, we're going to be fine. And the, the Cleveland fans were all nice and quiet. And then all of a sudden the score gets tied. And I have never heard such a deafening roar in all my life. I mean, you've seen old people stick their fingers in their ears. Well, I had my fingers in my ear. It was so intensely loud. Why? We were created by God to find our identity in something far greater than ourselves. You see, all of us, Pascal said, all of us were created with a God-shaped vacuum. All of us were created in the image of God, created for fellowship with God. But when we walked away, when we decided to do our own thing, when we decided that we could trust in ourselves rather than God, it left this huge vacuum and it will suck whatever will fill it into our lives. For some, it's a sports team. For others, it's a political identity, a sexual identity. For others, it might be making X number of dollars in the stock market. For others, it's a particular job. We have to find our identity in something much, much bigger than ourselves because that's how every single person was created. So the gospel, what the gospel does is that it enables us to see that curse in our lives to begin to be reversed. Where it puts God in the rightful place on the throne of our lives. That's where he was designed to be. And when he is where he is designed to be, guess what we see throughout Scripture? You see multitudes upon multitudes Thousands upon thousands, ten thousands times ten thousands with mighty roars. You look in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, 
there was great multitudes with, quote, the roar of many waters, with the sound of peals of thunder. It would make any stadium sound quiet. That's what happens when God is on the throne. Now, let me quickly say, does this mean that Christians cannot be fans of, our, of particular sport teams? Of, of course not. It's a game. But it's not a controlling God of our lives. It's not something we find our identity in. It's a fun game. Nor does it mean that we can't decide what political system we support, but it is a system we work with. It is not a system that we worship. I think our founding fathers made that all too clear. They knew that people would try and make a system their God, so they say, no, Francis Scott Key did such a beautiful job, War of 1812, two years later, when he pins the words of the Star-Spangled Banner. Uh, it's in God we trust. Our, God is, is our trust. I think that was the way he pinned it. And then they said, let's put it on our coins to remind everybody, whoever pulls money out of their pocket, in 1864, I believe. And God is our trust, shortened by the chairman of the event to In God We Trust. And then in 1956, I believe, it was put on our currency. Politics makes for a rotten God. Sports make for rotten gods. They can be fun, we can enjoy it, but they cannot take the place of our Lord. So the gospel realigns our soul so that when we turn from that thing that is trying to occupy the center of our lives to the Lord, then when we dethrone the idol and we replace God on the throne, we can then be excited about the things that should really excite us. And even in the midst of very difficult times in life, there can be rejoicing and praise. For a person who allows the Trinitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, to rightfully sit on the throne of their lives, that individual will be both Mercy-minded and mission-minded. That's the story of Jonah. That was Jonah's downfall. Jonah was absolutely what we would call a believer. I mean, in, in the short little passage we'll look at today, so I, I have a lot of intro, have some review, short time in the passage is a short passage, chapter 2. But even in the short passage that we have, he quotes from six psalms. So, so he knows the scripture inside and out, without a doubt. But his downfall was that Jonah was neither mercy-minded nor was he mission-minded. But once that God-shaped vacuum puts the Lord in his rightful place, Jonah now transforms into what the Bible refers to him as a great prophet. So real quick, the review, remember what happened? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of 
Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So real quickly, the story, there, there's a city called Nineveh. It was a Gentile city. It was the capital of the Gentile world. It was great four times in the book of Jonah. It says it was great or exceedingly great. Massive numbers of people, a half a million people, property, possessions. Uh, but it was extremely, not only a great city, but it was extremely guilty for their evil has come up before me. Nahum says, woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder, no end to the prey. So a great guilty city. And Jonah will eventually become a very great prophet. Right now, he's very reluctant. Jonah would be like many of us. I think there's, I want us to identify for a short time with Jonah. I want us to try to, because I think there's some elements that can challenge all of us. But then there's the Lord. If Nineveh was a great guilty city, and if Jonah was a great giving prophet, ultimately, then God, Jehovah, is a very great and gracious God. So he is telling Jonah to go to this city. Uh, like God was very gracious, he's asking Jonah to have that mindset to show mercy and uh, to take this good news to the city of Nineveh. So Exodus 34 says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. Okay. If God is going to sit in the throne of our life, this is going to be true of our lives as well. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So let me just challenge you to think, is there any part of you that tends to be a little bit like Jonah? We can be fickle with our affections. We can be prejudiced in our love. We can be inconsistent with our mercy. Uh, but that's not like God. Not like God at all. Uh, if God is a God who loves so much, for God so loved the cosmos, he, he loved the, the cosmos, meaning this the whole entire wicked system, we are to have that same kind of mercy-mindedness, and if we do, we will want to take this message to a world to say, you know what, that God-shaped, as Pascal would say, that God-shaped vacuum in your life can be filled with the creator God of all the universe instead of all the other stuff that you're filling it with. For Nineveh, they were filling it with blood. They were filling it with violence. They were filling it with aggression. But, but Jonah was struggling sort of with the same thing. So even though he loved God, he knew tons of scripture, but what was, what was absorbing him was this fierce nationalism, this fierce um, clamor for racism. So he was nationalistic. He was, he was a racist. He was arrogant, he was filled with pride, and if he was going to be mercy-minded and mission-minded, God was going to have to break through that in his own uh, life. So what? let me just ask you, what areas might you be like Jonah? Maybe you're very racial-driven like Jonah. 
Is that you? Maybe for you, it's, maybe it's politics. Maybe it's hard to be gracious to somebody who holds a different political persuasion or sexual persuasion. Or, or maybe it's education. You look down on people who aren't as educated as you are. Or, or maybe it's socioeconomic. Maybe you, you tend to prioritize people regarding the socioeconomic structure. Do you tend toward that? If you do, it's going to be very hard to be mercy-minded if you're prejudiced in that way. I was talking to a young man at Parkview. He's actually on staff at Parkview. And, uh, you know, I went, so I, I pulled him aside, sat down with him, and I said, you know what? You're, uh, you and your generation, you pride yourselves in your uh, inclusivity. You, you pride yourself that you embrace others who are radically different from you, uh, who are, whether it be race or political structure, you pride yourself in that. And I said, but there's one area in your life that you're extremely prejudiced. And he looked at me like, what are you talking about? I said, even though you think you're very inclusive, you have a huge disdain for older people. Lack of tolerance. And it, it was like a light, to his credit, it's like a light bulb went off in this in this young man's face. It was like, you're right. You're right. We think all you guys are out to lunch. You know? <laughs> and so what area in your life? So here's a challenge. This week is a great week because we have this Thanksgiving offering. What a great passage to couple with the Thanksgiving offering, being mercy-minded. Parkview is a church wants to be very mercy-oriented. And so if you've looked at the Thanksgiving offering, we have money that will go to Faith Academy, to Choices, to Yeslea Mensch, to Rafa House, to, you know, and go on down the list, global partnerships. How many of you like the fact that you're involved in a church that is mercy-minded and contributes to things like this? How many of you are excited about that? Okay, great. You know what that demands? If you are excited that we can give to things like that, it has to start with you. Because you are the church. So how can we possibly write a check to Faith Academy unless you first have, I'm going to use a new word, irrational generosity. In other words, it doesn't make sense. Supporting something like Faith Academy doesn't make sense logically. Because, hey, my taxes, we're already paying for good schools. We're already paying for teachers. We're already paying for facilities to educate these children. It doesn't make sense to do it. But all giving in the New Testament and Old Testament is irrational. When you think about it, every example of giving that pleases the heart of God is irrational. It's, it's not the law. It's not meeting the confines of the law. It's going beyond the law to what is what makes no sense at all. Irrational is another word for faith. Okay? I'm just using a different word. It's, it's faith. It takes faith to give stuff 
beyond my ability. It, it takes faith for that first century church that was giving beyond their ability to meet the needs of those in poverty in Jerusalem. But the church couldn't give to those in need in Jerusalem until first people gave irrationally. A rational generosity. The same way in, go to the Old Testament, Exodus 35. There was the need to build the tabernacle, but they couldn't do that until first the people gave irrationally, above their means, cheerfully, generously, and then we were then they were able to give and meet every need. So God's telling Jonah, in effect, Jonah, I want you to go. I want you to go to a city that makes no sense. I, I, I want you to think irrationally, faith, okay? I want you to go to a wicked, brutal, blood, bloody city. And I want to, you to preach to them because, God says, because I want to save them. I want you to pour out grace and mercy on them. I want you, Jonah, to be a bearer of mercy and grace for me, Jonah. So, hey, there are a couple of points of good news for us. If you're here and if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ personally, hey, that is good news. I don't care what sin you have committed, God's grace is bigger than your sin. If he can't wait to get the news to Nineveh, let me tell you, I don't care what you've done. He can't. He loves you so much, he can't wait to get the good news to you, for you to trust him. So the commission to this prophet is to be mercy-minded. That's the whole theme of the book of Jonah. If you could boil it down to one verse, it's in chapter 4. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So he's commissioning him to be uh, mercy-minded. And when he becomes mercy-minded, he can't wait to share that message with others. So he becomes mission-minded as well. Can I tell you how easy it is if you want to be, if you, if you want to get involved in, say, the Thanksgiving offering, can I just tell you how easy it is to do it? So I'll give you a personal example. Everybody have a, Everybody has some sort of phone, right? I'll bet you. I'll bet you over ninety percent of you have a phone. Pull it out. Go ahead. Pull it out. I will give you permission. Make sure the sound is off. Um, pull your phone out. You know the little app store. Go to the app. Hit the little button that says App Store. And now go to the magnifying glass and just type in the letters push pay, P-U-S-H-P-A-Y, push pay, and download it. If everybody tries to do it all at once, it probably will crash. But And it just takes a few minutes to fill out. You can find Parkview. You see our little logo. You put it in. You can put in a checking account, credit card, whatever. You can just put it in there, and you're done. So let me tell you how easy this is. And honestly, this helps Parkview so much because it automatically uh, allocates, it categorizes, it prints reports, it does everything. And it does it exactly how you want it. So this is what Cheryl and I did. 
So we decided how much we wanted, wanted to give to Thanksgiving offering. So this is what we did. I actually timed it to see how fast, so I could tell you how much time it took. I opened my phone. I said, okay, I started my clock, opened my phone, here it goes. I hit push pay, comes up. Then it asked me for, to enter my code. So all I have to do is enter my code. <laughs> and then all of a sudden there's Parkview. I hit Parkview. I enter the amount. And then I go to a little scroll thing. And the scroll says, oh, well, I could choose General Fund. I could choose there's Thanksgiving offering. There's Faith Academy. So there are a lot of the major things right there. And I hit send. And that is it. And I get a confirmation. It's that fast. And we can do reports. We can, we can do everything right there. 35 seconds it took me to do that. But you know what? That's not the issue. The issue is this. The issue is this. The issue is, am I going to be mercy-minded? Am I going to commit myself to irrational generosity? Or am I going to always be cold and calculated? You know who was very cold and calculated? The Pharisees. I mean, they had it down to the tenth of a tenth of a tenth percent. They were cold and calculating. That's why Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll have no place in the kingdom of God. So, there you go. It's super easy. Be mercy-minded, be mission-minded. Go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it. But what happened to Jonah? Remember, what did he do? Did, did, he, did he go? Help me, now we're going to review a little bit. Where have we been so far? Did he go? What happened? What did Doug talk about last week? No, he said, go to Nineveh. Where did he go? Yeah. I mean, just look at chapter 1. Jonah went down to Joppa, down to the ship, down below deck, down to sleep, down into the waves, down into the belly of the great fish, the whale, or whatever it was. Folks, listen, disobedience is always downward. And downward will always lead to disaster. But, but if God really loves us, if he really loves us, is he just going to let us off? Just head on out there. Go on out. No, no. That's the discipline of a loving Lord. See, the path of disobedience is a downward path that leads uh, it will end in a disaster, in disaster which affects the lives of everyone around you. Did you catch that? The path of disobedience is downward. Disaster. But not just for you. It will impact the lives of everyone around you. But the divine design and discipline isn't to punish. The divine design is to profit you. It's to perfect you. Hebrews 12 says, My son, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and punishes everyone he accepts as a son. So God is trying to teach this prophet who has become very hardened. He knows the word inside and out. Quotes from six different Psalms right here. He knows the word inside and out. But the Lord wants him to be tender-hearted. He wants him to be compassionate. He wants him to be gracious. So 
God is doing a work to get his attention. Now, I want us to look at Jonah's repentance. To repent means basically to turn, turn back the right direction, the right path. And uh, I mean, let's talk about it just for a second. What do you do? When you get in trouble, what do you do? Typically, what do you do? You make a D on a test. So what do you do? You get in trouble. You just work a little harder, right? That, that's Our first natural tendency whenever we get in trouble is just, hey, double down, work a little bit harder. But, but let's just say, what do you do when, when you're in deep trouble? Oh, well, I guess I better pray. For me, I might send Sheldon a text. Sheldon, you need to pray for me. And he'll send a really funny joke back to me. No, <laughs> not really. But you need to pray. And maybe even, not only am I going to pray, I'm, I'm even going to miss a meal. I'm going to fast. But what about when you're in deep, deep trouble and it is your fault? You brought it on yourself. Well, that was Jonah. That was Jonah. And this dude is sinking into the depths. And I want you to see his repentance. You're going to see it in his cry, in his confession, and in his commitment. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. He answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and you heard my voice. Again, it's interesting. Um, even with all the recollection from Psalm 18, 31, 42, 69, 120, 142, even as he recites segments from all of those psalms, having that much scripture in his head, he still disobeyed God. Isn't that amazing? He knows so much of the word, but he still disobeyed God. And Jonah, in deep trouble, cries out to the Lord. And then he says, and he answered me. And you heard my voice. And he confesses. For you cast me into the deep. Now, who threw him into the deep? The, the sailors did. They. They threw me. But Jonah says, no, you cast me, Lord, into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves all your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. So Jonah is repenting by acknowledging his sin. Lord, I understand that this discipline is meant for me. You're doing this to get my attention. It would have been real easy for him to blame the seamen. But Jonah saw past the immediate and he saw the ultimate. Jonah looked past the temporary and saw the eternal. As Martin Luther who put it this way, commenting on this passage, Jonah felt in his conscience that the sea with its waves and billows was the servant of God and of his wrath to punish sin. And then he says, the waters then closed in over me to take my life. 
The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. So Jonah at this point, and again, this the entire book of Jonah is, is written in Hebrew poetry, okay? So this is a poem, basically a poem, and in the last stanza of this poem, he just pictures himself. He's, he's at the very bottom of the sea. He's at the root of the mountain. His head is entangled with seaweed like grave clothes. He hears the prison bars of the earth slam shut, encasing him forever. In other words, he is dead. He is a dead man. It's his fault. But he's going to pray anyway. It sort of reminds me of Hudson Taylor. At the end of his life, he was so incredibly sick. One of his best friends was with him, and he said to his best friend, he said, I am so weak, I can't work. I can't even read my Bible. I can hardly pray. But then he said this, I can only be still in God's arms like a child, little child, and trust. That is exactly where Jonah was at this point. He can't explain it away. He can't what if. He can only, like a little child, put himself in God's arms and trust. Look at his commitment, verses 8 to 9. Those who pay regard to vain idols. Those who, in other words, every person has built within them the strong desire to find identity in something much, much bigger than themselves. If it's not God, Pascal would say that God-shaped vacuum will suck something else into it. And if it's something else, Jonah says, those who pay regard to this vain idol forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving and sacrifice to you, what I have vowed I will pay, salvation belongs to the Lord. Did you notice when Jonah truly repented, what he was thankful for were the spiritual things brought forth by God into his life. He was thankful for the opportunity to turn back to God. He was thankful that he could now be obedient to his calling. He was thankful that finally now he could take his place amongst the ungodly. In other words, to fulfill Genesis chapter 12, to be a blessing to all the nations. He, he sees that now, that he is to be mission-minded. He can't be mission-minded until first he's mercy-minded. He understands that God is a God of mercy who loves the entire world. Did you notice that he's not thankful for the physical things? He's not thankful for the fish. He's not thankful for the safe landing. He's not thankful to get home. He's thankful 
for the spiritual work that God did in his life. It's at this point, God speaks to the fish and it deposits Jonah onto the dry ground. Doesn't it amaze you that God speaks to a fish and he goes to Jonah and swallows Jonah? God speaks to a fish. The fish takes Jonah to Nineveh and deposits him on dry dry ground. Doesn't it amaze you that God commands the wind and it obeys? God commands the lots and they fall on Jonah. God commands the waves and they obey. But the very one who is created in the image of God is the only one of God's creatures that disobeys. And Jonah ends up in deep, deep, deep trouble. But he prays and God delivers him. God is a merciful God. Did Jonah deserve mercy? No. But that's who God is. I think you could summarize it in verse 2 and verse 9. I cried out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. And then verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's, let's all stand together. Now, I am going to end in prayer, but I, I want you to, I don't want you to just walk away from this passage. Just stand there and close your eyes. If you're getting dizzy, grab onto the chair in front of you. But just, just for a second, just with your eyes closed, because I want you to apply the gospel to your life The good news is that God is incredibly loving. He's incredibly merciful. And and, and he, He so desperately wants you to have a relationship with Him. So much that He did the irrational. He He gave His only begotten Son to die in your place. You, someone who doesn't deserve it, Jesus died on a cross for you that you might have life, that your relationship with God could be restored, that God could then enter and have the rightful place on the throne of your heart and in your soul. If you have taken that step of faith and put your faith and trust in Jesus, could you possibly now be a little like Jonah. Oh, he's there. You know him, you love him. You know what he did for you. But maybe you're running from God. Maybe you're allowing idols to drift into that vacuum where only God should be. Let me ask you, are are you mercy? You'll never be mission-minded until you're first mercy-minded. Are you mercy-minded? Do you understand how much God loves those who don't deserve his mercy or his love? Are you gracious? Are you merciful? Are you very quick to forgive? Are you very quick to give even when it seems so irrational? Are you mission-minded? Do you want to take that incredible news to those around you. Hey, if you're like 
Jonah. Or if you're like the Ninevites, either case, it's time to cry out to God. It's time to confess. And it's time to recommit if you're a believer or to commit your life to Christ if you're not. Father, we want to thank you that you are a gracious, merciful, loving, kind, compassionate God. You don't just hear the prayers of righteous people, but you hear the prayers of sinners like us. Not only do you hear the prayers of people who do it right, you delight in hearing their prayers. You delight in hearing the prayers of people who do it wrong. God, we thank you. We thank you that you are a gracious, loving, compassionate, forgiving God who irrationally, with ultimate generosity, gave your only begotten Son. And I pray that if there's any person here who has never taken that step of faith to put their trust in Jesus. If you want to talk more about that, there'll be people up here. Uh, we love to talk to you about what it means to become a Christian. And I pray for the rest of us, Lord, who are believers, Lord, that our lives would never be the same, that we would allow you to be God in our hearts and souls. May it make an eternal difference. We thank you that this week is a week of thanksgiving and praise. And Lord, I pray that during this week, we would certainly give you all the honor and glory and praise that you so richly deserve. We ask it in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.